So, um, I'm moving this week. Yeah, yeah, I keep forgetting about that. But, uh, yeah, you're going to be in a whole new place, a pastor of a whole new place. A whole new place. place I really have actually zero familiarity with, really. So Yeah. Which is kind of, that's rare in, the sti- in my diocese, which is so small. So, mm-hmm. But I really suck at packing. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm with you. But explain. Like, I, I don't want to put this. I just, I have ideas about how I want to organize things, and I can implement that. Mm-hmm. But the task of, like, where do I begin? How do I how do I start packing? Uh, I get overwhelmed very easily, yes. and I just don't even know what to do. And I'm just like, I don't even know where to start. I just so, but thankfully, I was able to convince my parents to come over for a week. Oh, look at that! Yes, so they they because they, they just moved back to the mainland near Vancouver because they were on the island for a couple of years. Um, and so my mom Estelle and Lindsay. My mom, Estelle. My dad, Lindsay. Sorry. <laughs> Not my um, mom. dad, can you help me pack? <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. Um, but here's the thing. This one thing I've learned about parents, and this is a great quality of them, is they want to help. Yes, they do. <laughs> they love their kids so much, and they want to have an opportunity to spend time with their kids. And it helps that my parents love the island, too. So, uh, so they came over Saturday afternoon. About five minutes before I had to go hear confessions, uh-huh. and um, and so I said, "Well, uh, this is kind of my plan, and you guys can let me know what you think." I came back upstairs after confessions quickly. They were already starting to pack like right away, and then uh, go downstairs, have mass. I come back upstairs after mass for dinner for to we're gonna I was gonna take them out for dinner, and they already had half my library packed. Beautiful. I was like, "Holy smokes!" Like we're ninety percent done, and. God bless them. They've done a lot of the work because, uh, like, yesterday I was really busy all day with different things with uh, my last Sunday here. So, so they, uh, so they've been very, very helpful, and I'm super duper duper grateful. I just feel bad because I'm also incredibly tired, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> not from like busyness, just from lack of sleep. I don't know if it's the move or if there's other things going on in the my, my the depths of my psyche or whatever. But I've been <laughs> sleeping horribly. Like last night. I fell asleep at around midnight, and I woke up at four. Yikes! Which is not fun. No, that's not ideal. No, it's not. And I, I, I have a a small, a small window into life of parents. It's I, I don't know how they do it. I'm I'm really amazed. I I truly and am utterly amazed because I'm like I'm on fumes right now. I got my big old McDonald's Coke while we're podcasting. So <laughs> it just it drives. I do not understand. I mean, I understand, but like when I'm tired, I go straight for the coffee, but you always go straight for the bubbly. I have to stop this, according to my doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of want to, but he, I kind of said to him, well, after I move, because I'll probably be stress eating a little bit. Stuff. He goes, no, that's fine. A, three, a few more weeks is not going to kill you. Uh, but he goes, I actually want you to stop drinking pop. Or soda for some people. Soda. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, well, no, I oh no, I had my coffee this morning. Don't worry. Okay, okay good. I had my big. I had my coffee, but um, I need to stop. Have you ever had the uh, uh, what's it called uh, matcha? Matcha. I have. Hopefully, heard I'm saying that right. it's it's basically green tea, but the tea instead of steeping the tea, it's actually powdered tea. Oh no, I've never had this, and it's delightful. Really... So you 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 mix it up. My big error was that I was using too much heat and burning it, so you don't use as much heat as you normally would. Um, but the the caffeine high you get is a much calmer caffeine high, I've noticed. Hmm. 
So it's, it's delightful. If you like green tea, it tastes delicious. That's you like green tea. Not, I, I've never been a tea person. Mm. But at least the, the drug effects are much more delightful. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So something I to know. think about. That's that's good to keep in mind for the future. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's what's going on here. So uh, yeah. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. So let me tell you my packing process. So okay. I do this, you know, several times in between seminary stuff, you know, going back for the summer. My first mistake early on in my packing career was I thought to myself, I will get the large boxes because you can put more things oh, no. in the large boxes. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh, you're right. Oh, no. Terrible mistake. Ter- because large boxes are heavy. You don't want to do this. So now right. what I do is I will um, buy some uh, banker's boxes and uh, they're, they're more expensive. But the thing with them is they have handles. They're yes. reasonably sized and they have handles. So I try to save them and hopefully nobody throws them away. Um, but uh, about midway through the, the packing process, I'm usually far behind because just like you, you see all these things, you get overwhelmed. You start off really good. Like I'll put all my religious articles in these boxes and my theology books in these boxes. But then it gets to the point where it's just garbage bags. You just <coughs> grab garbage bags and you throw stuff in garbage bags and you throw it in the car. Mm-hmm. That's the packing process. Interesting. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah, you see, one of my problems when I was in seminary was every year I, I, I you know, accumulated more and more books. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I wanted to have the books with me. So mm-hmm. that was always my problem. But, and I barely, just barely fit everything into my car from after my last year of seminary. I will say that after moving to my third floor room, um, with my parents' help, uh, we have, both myself and my parents have decided we're never doing that again. And yeah. we're just hiring movers. Absolutely. We'll put this some is what in I've boxes done. and just pay for the movers. Wisdom be attentive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's worth it. I don't care how much it costs, it's worth it. Well, so I don't know how it works in your diocese. In our diocese, your new parish pays for your moving costs. And I talked to my secretary. I said, well, I'm thinking about hiring movers. And I gave her a bunch of reasons. She goes, absolutely, this is a great idea because I got to hit the ground running in the new parish. And yeah. So it frees me up to do stuff right away. Um, and so yeah well, I think yeah. it's something similar we get a stipend or something either they help out yeah. or pay for half or something yeah. so yeah but uh the big news for me was actually not my big news it's producer Nick's big news mm-hmm. so he's getting married in a few weeks and this nice. past weekend was his bachelor's party Wee! were you there I was there I couldn't be there the whole weekend I couldn't be there the whole weekend because Father Harrison um I have, you have to like something s- on the weekends yeah I've got to save souls that's what I have oh. to do so right which is obviously more important than going to a bachelor party. right 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 so but you're also, more important than, than Nick yeah so, this right. goes without yeah. saying just because I'm a priest yeah. I'm more important than him but you know I still want to support you know uh, my brother in this you know, big moment in his life. I want to make sure that all uh, the other people there are being uh, are being good. Um, but uh, it was a lot of fun. So, how uh, many confessions did you hear on the batch at the batch? I party? did not, and at a certain point, of, <laughs> and at a certain point in both of the evenings, I could not. But um, <laughs> no, so no. In yeah. other words, you're just confessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, sharing good, a, a general kind of confession, not sacramental, maybe. Mm-hmm. But no, no, no. Actually, it was great. It was great. So um, Friday night, uh, he had all his boys come over, and he had this big charcuterie party. So he has this really Ooh. big cutting board he uses for raviolis. So there were meats and cheeses and all delightful things, and we're just hanging out and drinking. So that was the first night. Excuse me. So that was the first night, and then uh, the next day I had to do baptisms and priest stuff, blah 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 blah. But the second night he uh, had his his best man, Michael. Um, I'm not gonna say his last name, but he's a fan of the podcast. Hey, Mike. Um, I never call you Mike. Anyway, uh, had this big <laughs> spread of like these bone-in ribeyes. 
And so we all had steak and corn and beans, and it was amazing. Michael did a really, really good job. And uh, after that, one of his buddies busted out a piano, and this dude can play any song. So it was just kind of like group karaoke. It was yep. awesome. So we were nice. singing everything from Bruce, Spring- Bruce Springsteen, Meatloaf, the Pokemon theme song, uh, various Disney songs. And this all-, all sounds very on brand for Nick. It was. It was because, you know, Nick, he was involved in a uh, acapella group and some of his acapella buddies were there. So it was a delightful evening. And it's a nice. shame that, like, uh, bachelor parties get such a bad rap because a lot of times they are bad. But if you get a mm-hmm. bunch of, like, good normal dudes together, um, it's a lot of fun. So that was that was my weekend. So, question. I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast before yeah. or not. Did you do something as like a pre-priest ordination-esque party? I had a bachelor party, and that's what we yeah. called it, before my yeah. deacon ordination. Because, okay, nice. as you know, as people may know, that uh, when you're ordained a deacon, and you plan on being ordained a priest, uh, that's when you make your uh, vow of celibacy. So, right. uh, I got my buddy Carl, and same sort of deal. Less less musical, but we just had a big old bonfire. I think we shot some guns in the morning um, yeah. and had a big old bonfire, drinking, eating, and just hanging out. And, uh, yeah, it was it was great. So, actually, and just this is just so people can know. It's just a little, little behind-the-curtain thing here. Yeah. The reason you celebrate a bachelor party before you're a deacon is because you are doing that night where you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. You're just going to be a perpetual bachelor. No, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to have podcasts. <laughs> now, this is, I mean, just, I mean, if we're going to talk a little seriously about this, it's its funny because I do have more time to do the things that a lot, a lot, all dudes, but a lot of dudes like to do. Like, I get more time than a lot of guys to, mm-hmm. if I want to smoke a cigar or have a drink, I can do that. And it's its mm-hmm. funny because a lot of times when I hang out with my uh, friends uh, who are guys and are married, they are so excited to be able to do these things. But in seminary, right. I did that like all the yeah, time. It's a, it was called a Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. It's a Tuesday and I don't feel like studying. So there's a little bit of that. Um, some of that's just kind of a perk and it's good. And you, of mm-hmm. course, you have to be careful. But now, to be honest, I am so busy that I forget that I can have a drink if I want to. Mm-hmm. And then I remember that, oh, having a drink is delightful. So that was this weekend. I was like, oh, my goodness, having a few drinks. This is wonderful. <laughs> so That's it was a good right. weekend. It was a good weekend. Nice. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't know. I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but if, if I did, oh, well, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're at, which episode are we on, actually? A hundred and now? some change. Is this 103? Let's find out here. Sorry. I want to just. You're going to do this uh, right now. Oh, no, we're on 103. Next week's the two-year two year, uh, anniversary. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, I know. Mm. Crazy. Um, it shows you how much we pay attention to this stuff. Right. No, but um, I – so I knew – I'm pretty sure I mentioned this, but it's worth saying again. I knew in my – the day – I had to take care of most of my ordination stuff because we're a small diocese. I'm the only guy being ordained. Right. Uh, all these types of things. So I knew Friday before my ordination was going to be super stressful, and it was. Like our MC, he was coming in from the interior and he got snowed in and he couldn't fly out for my MC for the kind of reception afterwards. And a few other things were just going on. I'm just like, this is very stressful. And so I said to myself, the thing I need to do is I need to do something that's fun with a bunch of friends on Friday night. Obviously, I prayed on Friday night, folks. Like that goes without saying. (laughs) But I so I decided I had about 30, 30 guy friends come together. And I used the basement of our church, and we had a poker tournament. Oh, delightful. And there was beer and pizza and everything, and I paid for it all, So, which was great because I ended up winning like 300 bucks that night, so it paid for, it paid <laughs> the, for the reception. The Lord was on your side. <laughs> the Lord was on my side. It was, and you know what, though? 
it was so much fun. And guys would come and play, even though they've never played poker before. Mm-hmm. It was just a really, it was like, this is, it, yeah, the, like the things you're talking about in this, this is what a good, wholesome Catholic view of, like, we're having fun, fun amongst friends. Yeah. Is what a good kind of quote unquote bachelor party would be. So that's what I did on the night before my ordination, which was a good thing because the next day was so busy and such a blur. Yeah. Having some time to, you don't really get time to relax on your ordination Mm -mm, weekends. mm -mm. So that was super helpful. Good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, head head to the uh, Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. So the Summa Tweetologica is, or the Summa Theologica is, is St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up, a tweet from Father Simon Ishaki, uh, at Father Simon 3. Fun fact, it's actually more traditional to receive on the hands in the Chaldean Catholic Church. Ooh. Here's an excerpt from an ancient Chaldean liturgical hymn sung during communion on feasts. Strengthen, O Lord, the hands that extend to receive the host that forgives sins. Oh, and that's nice. I, yeah, I, I, we all know the discourse that happens. And right. I just thought this is, I think this is an important thing. You see, as Roman Catholics, we, we kind of get sucked in and think this is the universal Catholic practice. And it, it, it's not always. It's not always the case. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that the Roman church is obviously the best church, but it's not the right. only one. And we should know. I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we can get totally locked into our Roman Catholic bubble and uh, forget that there's other traditions that are <laughs> older than ours. Uh, and that's, that's, that's really nice. Yeah. So I just thought that was a really neat thing Yeah, to hear that there are other practices in the life of the church and that it kind of shows you that receiving in the hand can be a normal tradition. Now, obviously the questions become around, okay, well, that's fine. That's the Chaldean tradition, but what about the Roman tradition? Right, right? it's different. Right, but I think what he's trying to do is to say there are other traditions in the church that can say, listen, if it's a practice in the Roman rite, you're not inherently irreverent by doing things this way. Right, yeah, it kind of broadens the picture. Like, we can get yeah. so locked into what we're doing, but it's like receiving in the hand isn't, the Lord isn't going to zap you with lightning. Um, right. Now, I mean, I know a lot of people who, for for personal reasons and for, you know, theological reasons and rubric reasons, um, receive on the tongue all the time. And there's mm-hmm. that's that's great. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think a, a broader understanding of the traditions in the church can kind of help everybody be more calm and and normal and chill yeah and we need more of that today oh my gosh we really do (laughs) do we ever (laughs) so just know folks that this is a tradition in the larger catholic church the chaldeans are a right so that means they have their own traditions and their own liturgy within the context of the communion of the church they have even their own form of governance 
but they're in communion and they recognize the supreme primacy and 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 governance of the of the pope mm-hmm. and so uh it's just let's just learn from our other traditions and to see maybe maybe let's not get locked in absolutely okay cool. yeah. <laughs> um speaking of uh cool normal and chill this is the opposite this is a tweet from <laughs> sassy heathen at heathen oh, no. slash sassy <laughs> You're going there. Producer Nick okay. put this put this tweet on our feed, so let's let's just talk about it. <sighs> Fine. Um, and and she tweets out, um, Jesus was born via immaculate conception. Where did he get his Y chromosome? He'd only have XX, making him genetically female. So was Jesus a trans man? Okay, so let's put aside the fact that, um, and it's pretty obvious from the other comments in this thread that this is not a question that's being made in good faith. Okay, so. But let's just talk about it as a theological idea. I saw someone make the comments, uh, and this was probably the best way to answer it. It's like, well, if God makes Adam out of the dirt, where did he get his genes, right? And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a vast limiting of who God is, that God is the creator, okay? That God is not bound in the same way as um other things so yeah god can provide a wide a y chromosome like it's not even a big deal at all uh and also just the 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 tradition the truth that jesus was incarnate as uh as a man uh Mm -hmm. so it's it's a very provocative tweet but it's really not as clever as it may think it is Um, also jesus wasn't born by an immaculate conception oh right yeah of course Uh, well, the Immaculate Conception, properly speaking, we're referring to Mary. Yes, exactly. I born mean, you of could parents say... of sin. Yes. She, but the, she, she being born of parents of sin, knew mm-hmm. no sin. Right. Um, so, yeah. For, yeah, for the sake of her mission, burying the divine savior, yes. Right, the, right. So it's just, um, and, and I think it's, this is, I think there's something beneath the question. Um, and I think this is the part of, was Jesus a trans man? I think beneath even that is a, a theological question that has been uh, bantied about a bit. Um, does Jesus, does his incarnation as a man mean something less for women? Hmm. And the church has uh, said emphatically no. Like the, the um, incarnation as a human being affects both man and woman. He is the firstborn of a new creation. Um, so you don't get less Jesus because you're a woman or you don't get more Jesus because you're a man. Um, you, the church has always said no to that. Um, I, but you know, at the same time, there are some, like, I think there is something with Jesus's masculinity that can tie into the theology of, uh, only men becoming priests. There's something there, uh, which I, I don't have all my notes in front of me to make a wider argument about that. But I think something like that uh, is true. But it doesn't mean that women in any way have less uh, dignity or any less of a call to holiness. So you can see there's, even though the tweet's made in, in bad faith, like I said, you can tell from the rest of the thread and other things. Um, yeah. Even in bad faith questions, a lot of times there's something good that you can pull out of them and talk about. So so there you go. There's, there's the tweet that... Uh, Made a made a lot of people all kinds of cranky, um, yeah. including, including myself. I'll be honest, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think part of that too is again we have to stop reading competitive views of gender. Yes, yes, right? yes, 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 yes. Right. We have to stop seeing man, woman better than the other, and vice versa. 
um, which even can happen in Catholic circles, I think, sometimes. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not actually a Catholic thing. I was actually pondering this a bit today, um, that I really believe the uh, John Paul II's teaching on the complementarity of the sexes as the fullness of being human has really not been integrated into the Catholic life yet. Mm-hmm. So that even Catholics, like, they can get they can get bandied about about some of these things, but forget even that larger picture. Because, yeah, sometimes, like, you do hear it, it sometimes even in Catholic circles, because, well, yeah, because Jesus is a man, therefore, you know, obviously that gives a bigger dignity or whatever to men. It's like, well, no, they're not, there's not a competition. There's also, and then they'll say, but fine, but the divine person was united to a, uh, a male human nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But there was Mary, too. And actually, there's a reason there was Mary. And Mary is now constituted as the archetype of the church. And so the church is actually meant to have a primarily feminine aspect. We've talked about this on our, our Mary podcast, right? right? right. Um, but there's actually not a competition there. And there mm-hmm. never has been. And because that, that, from the beginning, God did not create it to be a competition. Um, right. It's the fall that makes it a competition. Right. And you exactly. see that played out throughout history. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the... Um, uh, I think a lot of Catholics can get very, can be very much triggered by ideas of feminism, but it's coming out of a um, of and there's all kinds of, of feminism, but it's coming out of a real place of uh, woundedness and real historical injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it's important to acknowledge that as well. Like, that's a real thing that affects us even today. Um, and you see things you, you do see sexism uh in the church and you do see that in parishes i've seen it you know i, I know mm-hmm. people have experienced it so it's not to say that this isn't a problem but it's right. it's a problem of sin right yeah exactly it's a problem of sin so we need to um we need to live to redeem humanity now at the same time like this idea like this is the other thing and she this person's tweets seem to think like, haha, I debunked you with science because of the chromosome <laughs> thing. It's like, well, well no. No. It, well, hey, first, first, interestingly, um, or um, the first thing to kind of think about is, well, do you have Jesus's body around to test this theory? You're saying that because he was born virtually just of a woman, um, he only has these chromosomes. Well, how do, how, um, how do you know that scientifically? Right. right. I mean, I, so like I, I, I was saying, like they're trying to make yeah. a scientific argument without actually having the evidence to make the argument around them, which sure. is not scientific. I'm just hesitant to, to push that, you know, too far because you can mm-hmm. get into this whole thing where we can't make any assumptions scientifically. Um, this is like a, a a theory of knowledge kind of problem. Right. Like, I, there's no way I can possibly test that the sun is going to rise tomorrow, but a lot of scientific evidence proves that it, you know, uh, implies that well, it will. Yeah. So I don't want. I, I mean, I just I just yeah, hesitate yeah. to push that too far. Yeah, uh, no, no, and uh, but I mean, like, I guess it's just the thing. Like, how do you know? But I guess that's my problem, though, is there's mm-hmm. no way to really even like they're making a claim. They're right. making a claim in reason that actually can't be proven, and they're kind of using it to debunk things when they're not. Now, sure. I find it very interesting that a lot of people are like, "Hey, wow, this this really sh- this really disproves religion," and I'm like, "But this isn't really a reasonable tweet." Right, but you know, even though we we I think we get a lot of good out of Twitter, and we yeah. try to do that with our segments here um sometimes twitter is not a place for for honest intellectual discussion it's just this not is fair it's just for, fair it's just for hot takes and funsies and this sometimes those hot takes are a little um uh well you know a little bit heathenistic so there you go there we go <laughs> all right well let's uh let's head on right on over to presbyteral exhortations 
And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh. It's the best part. Yes, yes, quite. Yes, right. Question. Okay. How did it feel just doing two tweets? How do you feel about it? How are you feeling? It's feeling not too bad. I feel right? like sometimes you can f- be, it can be forced to have to like always develop content with that. You can keep, yeah, you can actually even speak longer on a tweet. You don't feel like you have to rush it. Exactly. So I think we're going to try to do this in the future. So tell us what you think. Uh, tweet yeah. us at ClericalPod or you know contact us with all the things we say at the end of the show. We're yeah. going to try to just go with two tweets. Or email us, you know, email right. us. Yeah, and that, but it also gives us more time to do presbyteral exhortations, which is a good thing too. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe we'll get a show that's under an hour. No promises, though. We'll see. No promise. <laughs> so, I um, I've been praying a lot lately, which you know is a good thing to do as a priest. Uh, we should be doing this, um, praying through a lot of things that I'd, I'm not going to share per se, but um, just a lot of things going in my heart right now, and uh the one thing that there's an image that keeps on coming to my mind that I want to kind of talk about today, because I want to talk about in the context of kind of vicarious suffering and the way grace works in our weakness. So um, the image that keeps on coming to my mind is the pierced side of Christ. We hear, for example, in John's gospel, that blood and water flowed from his heart when his side was pierced. I think it's John 1937. I might be wrong, but that just, that's off the top of my head. Um, where the centurion pierces the side of Jesus and blood and water flows from the side. It's just a little interesting aside. I remember, I remember being in, when I was in seminary in, one, in my scripture, in my Johannine scripture class. And this was like a hot debate topic. Okay. How, how did, how did water come out of his heart? <laughs> and oh. it was like, yeah. and there's like, there's like theories that there's like this like sack of fluid that's underneath the heart that was also pierced right, and would have yeah. come out at the same time, which is possible. I don't know. I'm just like, I just like, we're sitting there. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> the, the, John's making a theological point here about right. baptism in the Eucharist. It's, 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 uh, it's a sign of his mercy. It's and that blood and water is also the sign in the divine mercy image too, right? Those mm-hmm. rays of red and blue are signs of water and blood coming from his heart, which is his mercy and himself coming to the world to save us. And so that pure side though is something I think is a bit of a enigma and it may not be something we're used to hearing. We're, we're used to hearing about devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. We're used to hearing devotions uh, to his kind of sacred face type of thing. <laughs> you have uh, devotions to divine mercy. Um, what else is there? There's also oh, to the divine, to his name, right? To the precious, um, to the blood of Christ, there's devotion, right? But there's never really, like, there's an interesting kind of spiritual tradition around the pure side, but there's not really a popular devotional side to his pure side. I don't think, not maybe, maybe not exclusively to his pure side. Like, there's devotion to the five wounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So there's that. But um, and and you know what the thing is? I'm sure there actually is a devotion to the fear side out there somewhere um, that someone probably listening is very devoted to. But I think yes, in general, um, yeah. I mean, it's not something I've come across. And there may there may be some small church in the middle of nowhere in Italy devoted to it. 
Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah, <laughs> claiming to have his actual pure side. They cut right, him out of it. Right, 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 and that, and that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, which, of course, the reason why I got to Italy is because angels took took the pure side and brought it to Jesus' well, home no. country of Italy. No. That's how it works. I was gonna say, yeah, he's Italian by by birth, right? Right, so. right, right, right. But yeah, he did yeah. some stuff in Jerusalem. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying he was Italian by birth. But anyway, we don't need to get into that history. But yes. In general, <laughs> in general, it's not the most popular devotion that I've come across. Right. But it's been a, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's been coming up in my prayer life a lot lately. And I'm still processing it. I'm kind of using the podcast as a place to explore this idea a bit. But I've been working through, I would say, some inner purification. Sure. I've been dealing with a whole range of emotions around some things going on in ministry and in life. Um, and uh, things that you wish, because, like, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're going through these things, it's a suffering. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody's heard this before, but, but suffering sucks. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It does. It does. I know this might this might shock people. Right? You know, you say that jokingly, but there is this problem where we still have this idea that somehow our suffering will be glorious in a worldly way, yeah. and it's just not. Suffering, it's just at not. least in it, as it appears and as we experience it, is often yeah. confusing and weird and bad, and we we don't see the purpose of it in the moment, and that's how you know it's a real cross. Right. Uh, it, the, I think I think part of it is that we forget like how just brutal the actual crucifixion was because we have so many images of uh, of glorious crosses and what those images do is remind us of the spiritual reality. I'm not you know right. uh, dissing that kind of artwork. It's very important artwork. But I think among a lot of Catholics, they think that if they are to suffer, it's supposed to be in this beautiful, serene, glorious way. Uh, but it's that's not how we experience it. We experience real suffering, and as you eloquently put it, real suffering sucks. Exactly. And uh, so, as you're going through this in your um, and like, and I'll say like part of it. So, I know people have different views about like the Myers Briggs uh, personality profiles. Mm-hmm. I find it a helpful tool to express my personality, at least. Okay. And my F, which is feeling, is like super high. Big F. It's yeah, big F, big old F in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very high. So I feel things deeply and quickly. Mm. Um, I the one benefit is I don't brood on them forever, but they hang. But when they're felt, it's felt. Yeah, and um, so which sucks actually. <laughs> it's not always <laughs> yeah. fun because sure. you go through real. You can go through real mood swings of of you know, ecstatic joy over a success of something to, you know, real sadness and hurt and pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been praying through some things that I've been reflecting on. And like, actually, just as a little aside, one of the things that has been prompting this, I've been reading um, a book by Blessed James Alberione, who's the founder of the Pauline Order, the Pauline Communities. Um, and uh, he's been really refle- he's been really pushing the idea of like, not just once a day, but several times a day, self-reflection. Yeah. Which is, I think is a really important spiritual tip in general. And I've been really kind of starting to see its practicality to learn to ask questions of the different emotions and uh, actions and motivations that are at, the, at your heart, to put them more in line with Christ, to let Christ be more formed in you. And it's so, also yeah, very Ignatian as well. 
Yes, it is. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, Ignatius has his daily examine, but this idea that you're supposed to kind of examine yourself actually throughout the day to the point where it becomes almost a habit, mm-hmm. right? To see, is this of Christ? And is this for Christ? Um, so, you know, as you're praying, you start to ask yourself, okay, why am I feeling this? Right? Because first, this is always an important thing to know too, actually, just for those who might experience feelings um, more deeply, is feelings are morally neutral. Mm-hmm. Right, your feelings aren't moral actions or anything like that, but they're signposts to either attachments in your heart, um, desires in your heart, etc. Yeah, and, I think it's important yeah. to see like they, they, the feelings and the emotional spectrum, if you will, um, they do tell us something, but what mm-hmm. they tell us isn't necessarily obvious. For example, the one thing I always go back to is that the first time a very nice old lady said I should be a priest my feeling was extreme rage and anger, right? Right. right. But that wasn't right. a sign that I wasn't called to be a priest. That was a exactly. sign actually that I was very much attached to uh, my own plans and thoughts and other things. And the idea of, you know, having to let go of that made me angry. Uh, so yeah, uh, feelings definitely tell us something, but the reason why we have to discern them is because their meaning is not always obvious. Exactly, exactly. So, right, why, why, why were you angry at at being at this lady saying this to you, right? It is a very important question, right? So I've been asking myself that question more lately. I've been asking it in prayer. And the the image that Jesus keeps on putting uh, in front of me in my prayer is his pierced side. Mm-hmm. But not like just the pierced side afterwards, but the actual act of the heart being pierced. So I want to reflect on that kind of image for a moment and then kind of do a bit of like a spiritual theology with that. Okay. Okay, and then you, you you know feel free to chime in if you have other kind of ideas around the image or whatever. Always. Uh, yes. Um, so the first thing I was thinking about is that Jesus is already dead when his heart's being pierced, right? <sighs> hmm. Yeah. Right. He's dead. He's he's <laughs> he's given up his spirit. You know. Um, you know. Sometimes uh, this was actually a big moment for me in my spiritual life. Uh, I was on retreat. And I was looking up at a cross and it was, I was just learning to discern my own emotions as well. And I just took a glance at a cross and I was like, Ugh, I don't want to look at that. I was like, Oh wait, why don't I want to look at that? Mm-hmm. I remember looking up at the cross and looking at Jesus and I was like, Oh, because Jesus is dead. And that's weird. I don't know what that means. And right. of course, like, you know, that Jesus died and rose for us. Yeah, we all know that, but it, it had struck me in that moment in a more profound way. So mm-hmm. just, just even just when you said then, you know, Jesus is already dead when he gets pierced in, in the side. It's like, whoa, I don't know, something about that struck me. Right. So just kind of keep that in, in mind for a moment. I'm just going to, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'll go into kind of explaining that theologically in a second. And then there's the actual act of piercing, right? So, which is a violent act, right? It's an abusive act. It's, um, it's an act of violation to hit the dignity of his body, etc. On the Roman side, they see this as an act of mercy, right? Because if he's not dead, um, this will kill him quickly so he doesn't have to suffer anymore, right? Right, because the normal way to speed up a crucifixion would be to break the legs so that you can't support yourself any ma- anymore and you suffocate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Make, man, the cross, crucifixion is really not fun. <laughs> They're really freaking <laughs> brutal, really, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really when, brutal. When stabbing someone in the side is the merciful thing to do, it's like, yikes. And I, and I keep on thinking of, actually, I think one kind of bit of art that has actually portrayed this scene quite well is the um, the Passion of the Christ, 
right? Where this, where the soldier pierces the side and the blood and water just kind of almost rains down on him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's a, it, that this blood and water flows out freely. And a, a word I like to use a lot is like, it's lavished upon. It's like, it's, it's like, oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's an over, it's an over generosity. It's not just like a little splurting out of the side. Yeah. Right. But it's a real pouring forth. Right. And that now there's an open part to God to like, there's an openness to the heart of God now. And that this heart is open and in the resurrection, it's still beating. It's something we can touch and put our hands inside. And if you ever get a chance, by the way, as a little side to pray around the image of placing your hands in the wounds of Jesus, it is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, this is a heart that's now kind of generously open and, 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 and giving away freely this great mercy and this great love that is kind of his blood and water, which is what really redeems, right? The blood from him redeems and the water redeems us through baptism. So these are kind of the different images I've been praying over for the last few days. And they just don't want to leave me. And then it was yesterday that Jesus really kind of said, okay, now I'm going to take you to see, see, um, to see how this is meant to be kind of embraced and lived. Like I was actually, I'll be honest. I was actually like, it, it, we have like afternoon adoration here. And so I sit in the sanctuary because I don't want to take up any of the few pews we have for people who are going to drop in. Right. 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 But I'm like trying to hold back tears as I'm praying. Cause I'm just like, Okay, Lord, thank you. And I'm like, but I don't want people to see me. I'm just like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's something that'll happen. Every once in a while, you're either celebrating mass or doing something publicly, and the Lord's like, I don't care. I'm gonna give you a deep experience of whatever's going on because the Lord yeah. is like that. He likes to mess with us, yeah, in a very loving way, right? Because the Lord just isn't it. But I've, I, there have been so many times, like, Lord, thank you very much, but I've got to keep it together and finish mass, yeah, exactly, please. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. um I'm sitting there and I'm praying with this image and the Lord brought me to a place of acceptance with a lot of the stuff I was, you know, struggling with and dealing with. First, he kind of brought some things forward that I realized I need to purify myself of. Mm -hmm. But it kind of like he said, no, I want you to be devoted to my secrets, to the the pure side and all this. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a deep attachment with the heart there. And because like the heart is is the place of affectivity, right? Um, Actually, I found this great quote um, by obviously Ratzinger. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. I saw, I was, I, I rarely look at the reviews, but I was bored. So I looked at the reviews of our podcast and someone, I, I think they gave us a lot of stars, but they uh, just mentioned it's kind of annoying that you only quote Ratzinger. You know, there's other theologians out there. Um, mm. The answer is we know there are other theologians out there and we just don't care. <laughs> My more charitable answer oh, is, okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is that I'm studying him. So of course I'm reading him a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So but he was talking about, um, it's in his, it's actually in his book. I, I broke it out because I wanted to kind of, I was just trying to find little snippets maybe sure. to prepare for the podcast. It's called Behold the Pierced Side of Christ or Behold the One Who's Pierced. Um, and it's, he's reflecting on prayer and he's talking about like our theories of knowledge. He says, by knowledge, by nature, knowledge depends on a certain similarity between the knower and the known. The old axiom is that like is known by like. In matters of the mind where persons are concerned, this, and this is important, this means that knowledge calls for a certain degree of empathy by which we enter, so to speak, into the person or intellectual reality concerned 
and become one with him or it, and thus become able to understand. He goes on to link this idea around knowledge with prayer. Prayer is the act by which we come through empathy into the one who is to be known, Hmm. who is Jesus, obviously, right? Right, right, right. And so prayer is an act of empathy and on both sides, us with Jesus and Jesus with us. Um, And it, which I, but empathy also has a strong emotive sense to it. Sure. Yeah. Which I find so fascinating um, that these felt emotions and attachments, et cetera, Jesus wants us to feel them. And so he kept on like kind of drawing me this idea of his pure side to say, Hey, a, like this is where it kind of led me to this idea of this, like, Jesus was empathizing with me and, and vice versa. I was actually really empathizing with Jesus. I was entering into a experience in a very small way of what he experiences in right. love for us. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a difficulty with this with a lot of Christians because there's this uh, Western idea that somehow empathy or emotions cloud the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's not a Christian idea that uh, emotions are a part of the truth. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. In the same way, it's like, you know, yes, uh, love is more than a feeling. But if you never feel love towards your spouse, I would say that's unhealthy. Um, It doesn't mean you stop loving them when you're not feeling it, but that should be there at times. Uh, And I think sometimes there's a hesitancy to embrace. The Lord wants to embrace our whole person, and part of our whole person is emotions. They're not just, they are not just these things that we can cast off or off to the side. They're an integral part of us. Right, exactly. And this is something, actually, again, we made this clear in our Mary podcast, right, mm-hmm. about that Mary reveals a certain, that effectivity has a place in the life of prayer. That emotions, like Ratzinger talks about this in his book, Behold the Pierced One, around this idea that emotions actually have a place to play, that the heart, we speak of heart, in the theological concept, it's not only the seat of the person, but if it's the seat of the person, all those elements of being person are expressed there, including the emotive element. Right. And so it's important to embrace that. And I, like, like that Jesus felt, essentially. He felt things. Yeah. Um, he had emotions. He he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He had almost like, like theologians and, and medical people have reflected on his uh, time in the garden of, before going, being crucified that he had a, almost like a anxiety attack to the point that he, like that's what could only bring about the sweating of blood, mm-hmm. right? This deep existential terror. Um, he enters into all of this element of our humanity because if he doesn't, then he's not, then the incarnation hasn't really worked. And so yeah. he has to go through, he, this, is the, this is the thing that's important for us to keep in mind. Yes, your emotions are good, but they need to be redeemed. Right, yeah, that's a very good point. Right, and so this is what Jesus does for us. He he lives. He he's always in the process of redeeming emotions, and to not just show a path, but to like give us a sense of 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 what the emotive and the effective side of faith look should look like. Yeah, I think we need to. Emotions have to be a part of our freedom, and very often, uh, if emo, if if our emotional side uh, hasn't been uh, fully healed uh, or redeemed. Uh, then our emotions, we become slaves to them and ruled yeah. by them. But yeah. the the complete person, the truly human person, and also the, the, the person that's caught up in uh, the divinity of Christ 
you know, through the sacraments and all this good stuff. Uh, emotions become part of our freedom. Like, um, doing good should bring us joy. That's a well-ordered emotion. Mm -hmm. um, seeing injustice should make us angry. That's a well-ordered emotion. And those emotions can fuel us. So if we see the injustice and we become angry, we are then motivated to use our anger as a tool and not a weapon. Right. Or um, the experience of joy can lead us to praise of God, can order where we're going. Uh, yeah. So yeah, emotions should be a part of our experience of freedom in Christ. Right. And so, and this is actually an important thing too, because people always like to say, well, well, Jesus flipped tables, you know, we got to flip more tables. And it's like, yeah, but he did that in a redeemed way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A you lot sinner. of times you just sinner. cranky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and the other thing I was actually saying this to a friend today too, was how just because it's true. Yes. The emotions are kind of lower in the hierarchy of important things in our life as human okay. beings, yeah. ultimately. Right. But, but just because it's lower doesn't mean it's not important. You know, again, just as we talked earlier about the competitive nature between like male, female that mm -hmm. is often expressed in humanity and the church. So it is in the human person that the higher things are not in competition with the lower things. Right. right? And, and being lower doesn't mean they're not essential. Exactly. Um, I think exactly. this is what, we, you know, when we struggle, uh, you and I thinking about uh, a lot of modern apologetics, a lot of times they lack empathy. And because they lack empathy, they lack effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Or even when I'm either counseling people or people in spiritual direction, it's important for me to connect in an empathetic way um, so that uh, the truth of the gospel can be um, can be communicated to them. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's just because it's lower doesn't mean it's not un just because it's lower doesn't mean it's unessential. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I just wanted to anyway. So and this means, though, then, too, that not only are those other emotions when ordered rightly good that even what we can kind of call as the negative emotions of pain suffering hurt all those sadness, sadness yeah. all those things but not fun emotions <laughs> they're not fun emotions mm -hmm. um but they're not actually negative emotions they're not bad they're not bad but they're not negative they're actually profound places for communion with jesus mm. right um and we need to stop looking at them as something to run away from. So this is kind of where I was going with this, because so as I'm praying through this, you know, I, Jesus was teaching me a few things. First, like I kind of said to him, you know, I want you to take certain desires in my life. Like when I talk about desires, it's like, you know, maybe attachments or, or, or ways that I, I experience being loved by others and stuff like this. Um, um, as you know, just like in a, obviously in the authentic way one ought to be, right? But I'm just saying, like you know, we all have like love languages and stuff like that, right? We all find ways that we can be shown appreciation and everything. And you know, you just kind of pray through all this. Yeah. And and I was saying, okay, Jesus, will then like purify me of this? And he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we're getting to good stuff. Okay. Yeah. He's like, no. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I'm ready to be detached. You know, like you know, just just take it away no no he goes i don't want to take it away mm -hmm. i'm like okay <laughs> so you pray through this more yeah and you're starting to see like and then he kind of starts unveiling to me what he wants in this that those things a they're not bad things to desire okay like how you know um but i want you to experience that desire frustrated Mm. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 
And then where I was going with this was reflecting on the, the pure side. If we think about what happens there, the blood and water flowing out, he's dead, right? Mm-hmm. He's really and truly dead. He can't do anything anymore. He is totally impotent. Like he is totally powerless. He, uh, he has, he has no power to act in his human body in this time. Right. Right. And yet, blood and water still flows out. This is the time where Jesus is at his weakest, at his most vulnerable, in his, um, in his body, at his uh, the greatest point of tragedy. And it's also the place where we, like, you know, some theological traditions say that this is when the church starts. Right. At this moment. But it's also where blood and water flow, where, where the mercy of God, the redemption of God through his blood sacrifice and us being baptized into it flows out into the whole world. Where God's generosity, like, pours forth in lavishness in the moments where he is utterly weak. Mm. He is effective most in the place of total weakness, total dependence, and total um, total inability to do anything. You know, this is St. Paul's phrase. Um, the um, wisdom of the, is it, let me try to remember it now. I just had it in my head and I just forgot it. Um, God, oh yeah. God's weakness is stronger than um, the, the greatest of human strength, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is kind of that paradox St. Paul plays. I'm just kind of, I'm not quoting it properly, but you know what I'm, right. you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's so, also, it's also like yeah. um, both literally and spiritually, it, it so perfectly displays the outpouring of God that he withholds nothing for himself, even in his death. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. He's not holding anything back. Mm-hmm. The place where he's been hurt, abandoned, and set aside the most is the place where he still loves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my prayer was kind of like St. Paul's. Lord, if it be your will, remove this thorn from me. And what's the Lord's response? It's... Um, um, my, my power, power is, is power sufficient for you. My, my yeah. power is perfect for you for my strength is made per, is made perfect in your weakness. Mm-hmm. And then St. Paul goes on to say, for when I am weak, there I am strong because the grace of God and the power of God reside in me. And it's, so, okay, good. so what, what's, what's so powerful about this with the pure side is like, I think that's actually at the heart of that devotion to his pure side. When Jesus is weak, it's actually when he's strongest and it's where, and so like, what was Jesus is kind of revealing and kind of bringing to my heart in prayer. He's like, yeah, you are weak here. And this is precisely where you're going to love out of. Right. Cause right? it's weird temptation for us to try to love people or to save people or to do good things in a way that Christ didn't. Right. Like, of course, if, I mean, for a priest in a particular way, but for every Christian, uh, he, Christ is going to ask you to love the way he loved. Cause it's perfect. And so yeah. he does not want you to run away from that. That makes all kinds of sense. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, I feel like words are kind of failing me, to be honest in this, because I think it's still something I'm processing. But um, I want, 
we've talked about activism in this podcast before mm-hmm. and that was something that he's like you know no not this is if you love like this you don't need programs you don't need to do 20 step pastoral plans or anything like that because you need to depend on the love that flows generously out of weakness because it's only when we are weak as human beings as members of the church only when we are weak only when we are are powerless in those moments Jesus can find like it's where we actually have to depend on God, right? Because prayer is nothing more than say, God, I need you here. I cannot do this without you. And it's finally where he can say there, aha, okay, now I can act. Now you give me permission to act through you. Because here you really you really and truly depend on me. And there, but that can only happen when we are weak and powerless and crucified and suffering. And we run away from these things so freaking often. And we all do it. Like, we all mm-hmm. just do it. We all run away from suffering. Like, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. But we need to learn to embrace it more. Because, like, the, the secret that I think Jesus was really trying to teach me, and I think I got to pray about it some more, is to say, no, don't run away from it. Embrace it. It's going to suck. It is not going to be fun. It's not going to feel good. You need community around you to support you while you're going through this. You need the church to mediate my love to you in this. Mm-hmm. But you need to mediate my love to others and to be willing to love even if you've been hurt. Right. Because, of course, you know, if Christ is going to be rejected, why why should we expect anything else? Um, exactly. And we don't even love perfectly. Of course we're going to be rejected. Um, right. And, and, yeah, exactly. And we're, I think, you know, reflecting, I guess, here, obviously, on, on more priestly ministry, I don't know about you, but I've seen so many priests who, when they get hurt, um, they run away from ministry. Now, I'm not saying I've been hurt, per se, or anything. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just you know, recognizing some stuff it's from my past part, and It's a part of, part of any it. vocation, but yeah, yeah. In, in a particular way, ours. Yes, absolutely. Right. But, but you've seen, like, you see priests who kind of turn off the love because yeah. they've been hurt too much. Mm-hmm. They lose their passion and they lose their zeal. And... I, I can see well, it's not just I can not, also see I can also see in different experiences I can see how easy it can be to choose to become jaded right because when you do that you're refusing to allow Christ to empathize with you you're exactly. trying to carry all the suffering yourself and there's a there's a bunch of different ways to run away from ministry you know you can leave the priesthood as most extreme but you can mm-hmm. also uh, just go through the motions or you can wield uh your hurt and anger as a weapon against your people or you can become numb there's a thousand different ways you can do it uh yep exactly and so but the only way jesus can work you through the emotional things you're going through is a because we have to become like self-reflective but then b jesus wants to show his compassion to you by saying i want to suffer this with you like i've said this before and i'm going to say it again the response to the problem of evil in Christianity is not so much an argument, but a person, mm-hmm. right? It is the fact that Jesus suffers it with us. This is God's answer. He says, I am willing to do this with you. And we want to understand and we want to try and grasp in our minds how this actually works. But he keeps on like, he keeps on kind of shooing that down because he actually wants us to enter into the experience because only when you actually enter into it authentically and you start to embrace it as weakly and as, as, as minimally, even as we often do only there, do we start to see the secret of the Christian life, which actually, yeah, 
him coming to be crucified is the answer to the problem of evil, but I can't really embrace that until I actually embrace the cross in my life. And I, because, and also to remember, like, this is not the last word. He is right. redeemed. He is resurrected. He says, go this way and I will bring you to eternal life. But you have to go this way and you have to let your heart be pierced and you have to be willing to be weak and you have to be willing to be powerless and you have to be willing to be loved while you are pierced. Only then do we start to see the secret of God's love for us. Huh, yeah, um, I have. Uh, that's yeah. Um, I have. I just just two things. Just my yeah. my last two thoughts. One about how well this ties into two podcasts ago about detachment. Yeah, uh, and how uh, that kind of detached love is right. not the same as an unfeeling love. Exactly. Uh, so like, there's such a temptation for us to try to take away others' suffering instead of entering into it. I'm talking yeah. about like a deep spiritual suffering. If someone is outside and is shivering, you give them a coat. I, I'm not saying you don't do that. You absolutely do that. Uh, but that, that deeper kind of spiritual suffering. And then secondly, this kind of reveals the brilliance of popular piety. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of, you know, especially in devotions to the Blessed Virgin Mary, where you meditate on her, uh, her sorrow or the seven sorrows of Mary. Right. It's uh, in this popular uh, piety kind of way, teaching us how to do this if we approach it the right way. Um, it's kind of a, a very obvious truth in various kinds of uh, uh, popular piety. And you see the depths of it in what we're talking about here. Yeah. So I guess I just want to end by saying, I encourage you to first meditate on the pure side of Christ. Like take, you know, take 15, 20 minutes and really enter into that. Don't be afraid of your emotions when they happen, but be self-reflective and ask, why am I feeling this? Or why am I thinking this or whatever? And let the Lord feel that with you and think that with you. And don't be afraid of your weakness because I think God does his greatest work in saving the world when we do nothing in a way. And by nothing, I mean like, <laughs> yeah. I don't mean like a quietism, but I mean like actually being willing to let ourselves be crucified with him because that's the natural state of the church. The natural state of the church is the cross. And so the only way the church becomes a sacrament of salvation for the world is when she's crucified. Mm -hmm. And the only way the church becomes crucified is when we embrace the cross when it's given to us. And I mean, that's, I think that's a little other thing. Don't go chasing it. You know, it's not like Jesus went, you know, he's born, he comes out of the Virgin Mary's womb. He's like, okay, give me a cross. I want to be crucified. Right. He, it, it's given. It's, and it's thrusted upon him actually is maybe even a better way to put it. Well, if yeah. you look at, I think I mentioned this before in the podcast, if you look at any any good art from the Stations of the Cross, Christ is never picking up the cross from the ground. It's always coming yeah. from above in the yeah. frame. Yeah, yeah. It's always coming from God. Because um, even if it's the Romans who are crucifying him and his you know, fellow Jews who have rejected him, um, it's ultimately, providentially, and mysteriously coming from above. It's coming from God in this crazy way that you can't really wrap your brain around you just have to embrace it in faith and love yeah and it's yeah oh, oh um and it's also we have to remember the words jesus gives to peter you know when you're old mm. you'll be bound around your waist and you'll go where you do not want to go right that's the cross that is jesus prophesying the cross for peter and in a way that is always meant to be like the Petrine sign in the church. And that's actually, if in a way, I think kind of, I would even call it like 
the masculine gift into the church of, 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 of what we do when the cross comes our way. Um, Peter becomes a sign of that. He becomes a lived reality of what Christ did. And, and then there's obviously a Marian response to this too, obviously, right? About how, like you said earlier about the seven sorrows and everything. Mm-hmm. So like these two things feed each other. And I think when you bring these two things together, because a little aside, I think this is actually a big problem when we're talking about about spiritual spiritual um, discussions in the church. You always have that kind of the feminine perspective and just the masculine, and they never converse with each other, and that's never good because they complement each other. Um, when they bring them together, sacrifice and affectivity. When you that becomes a very powerful tool for the church. Because it's there, like that Christ lives this in an integrated way, and we need to live this in an integrated way. And I think it's telling that it's the heart that's pierced. They don't pierce his lungs or anything like that. They don't, like you said, they don't break his legs. His sacrifice is completed when the heart is pierced. Mm -hmm. And so that heart, which is the kind of seat of emotions, is a big kind of sign from God to say, I want to suffer in all things with you so that you can be crucified with me so that I can lead you and the world to eternal life. So, yeah, that's kind of been the fruit of my prayer. That's okay. It's okay. Cool. It's cool. pretty cool. Pretty cool. cool. Pretty, pretty neat. Cool. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm obviously going to have to process this some more. No, that was uh, good. But, that was good. But, uh, um there you go. That's a little insight into a bit of my heart, I guess, with all this. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I see. I see what you did there. That's good. Clever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, wrap up. Take us home. <laughs> so thanks for listening to the podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. You can find us in all those places wherever you find a podcast. Uh, you can contact the uh, podcast at clericalspeaking at email.com. You can find us on Twitter at uh, clericalpod. You can find me at Fr Harrison. You find me uh, meditating on everything Father Harrison just said. <laughs> uh, you can please tell your friends about the podcast too and tell your enemies too because Jesus said you must love your enemies. And we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace. Peace.